Hey, this is Ben Harvey, featured this month on Valiant's Life and Death of Toyo Harada. You're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. There you go. It is. So sweet. You need to get louder too, Mario. I need to get louder. I'll get yes. louder. I'll get all the loud you need. <laughs> Mario, do you have a microphone or are you on the telephone too? I'm on the headset. No, I'm connected to a laptop. Uh, I'm just like my iPhone. Yes. Mm. My phone. That might my be why I'm low. We can that adjust. That is why you're low. We can adjust. We'll shift. Cool. A little bit to shift the right. It up. Yeah. A little bit to the left, a little to the right. Right. Correct, I should say. You guys ready for the Easters? The Easters? Yeah, yeah the, Easters. the Easters. Oh, Scranton's all about the Easters. <laughs> I bet. I a lot, bet of, lot of cat licks all over. They're yeah. everywhere. I met my mother this afternoon with my children and dropped them off because they're on uh, spring break as of now. And uh, I, we don't have the kids for a couple of days. And then we're going down to my parents for Easter. But then coming back without the kids again for a few days. And it's going to be glorious. Aww. Good for you. Yeah. It's nice to have that time sometime. Although, And also when I dropped them off to my mother and as she drove away, I, like, I teared up. Because it was like, my kids are leaving. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a mixed bag. It's true. It is true. And you know what else is a mixed bag? What? This here joint this we got going on right now because it's 11 o'clock comics, episode 602, and I am Vince B. You are Vince B, and I am David A. Price. How about that? And guess what? Guess what? Big surprise. Jason is AWOL this week. He's not here. Yes. So what we did is we pulled two of our best buds out of semi-retirement to come help us with this episode. The first, well, you've heard both of them before, but the first is a, I'm going to call him what he is. I'm calling him what he is. He's a comic scholar. He's, he's a comic collector, comic fan. He's been on television. He, he loves the Eagles and he, <laughs> <laughs> he's a huge, a huge, a big lovey dovey Italian. And his name is Mario. The Eagles, take it easy. Right, life in the fast lane, right here <laughs> oh on Eleven O'clock Comics. What, what mediocre suburban conformity band that was, huh? Right, but they do have the biggest selling album of them all time. So, right, because everyone can listen to it. Right, you're that's saying something. I mean, they're laughing at us from their gold-plated uh, toilets. Well, the ones that are alive, and and with us this week, also in addition to Mario, is a comic creator. Pulled out some of the big guns. He is um, responsible for a lot of comics, but most recently, this one I have here in my hands, it's called Atomic Tales of Escape. It's a handmade love letter to comics and everything that he does so well. You've, like I said, you've heard him here before. It's Daniel White. One of these nights is not a bad song. <laughs> Witchy okay. woman. Come on. Yeah, that's not a bad song. It's not terrible. You know, What's I, going on, guys? I don't usually defend the Eagles, but you cannot tell me that the guitar solos in Hotel California aren't smoking hot. Is that Walsh? It is Walsh. And yeah, well, Walsh is the only talented one in the whole yeah. caboodle. 
I don't know about that. I mean, there's some great voices in there, but whatever. Yeah, I can listen to Hotel California all the way through. Oh, I never want to hear that song again. I've heard it so many times. Wow. You know what pisses me off? It, it goes for Hotel California, Comfortably Numb, and other songs with long, rambling guitar outros. When I'm listening to it on FM and the prick DJ cuts it off before the end of the solo, it incenses me. I hate that. Yes, drives me crazy. Those people yeah. created those notes for a reason in the in the, the order, in the duration. Oh, they did they huh? didn't create those notes for commercial radio, though. No, they didn't, but FM's album-oriented rock. So if you're going to play the song, play the whole goddamn song. Don't be cutting. And I don't care about your lunch or your, your you know, your, your car well, your problems. Bills that they got to pay to make sure that they can keep playing those records? No. If you choose to play Hotel California, you choose to play a long song, play the whole damn song. I was listening to XM the other day. Um, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. They didn't cut yeah. that off. They got Dude, bills to pay. Satellite, you pay nah, for it's bullshit. No, if you, you don't the play the... <laughs> All right, so the next time you get a comic and there's three pages ripped out of the back of it, don't complain. It's the oh, same thing. That's Oh, yes, it's so the same thing. They're taking don't a part out, of the man. piece the of... Oh, they're taking the part of the piece of work away. You're not getting the whole picture. Let me hear that last You're note. You're also not paying for it on the radio. You aren't paying for it. No, the radio stations have bills to pay, but they have a responsibility to the to the art to present then, it the way it should, should be presented. Just, they should open up a a theater and let the artists come and 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 play for the masses there. That makes no sense. They really want to support the arts. You want to support the arts? You know where to go. Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, where you get everything you want in the previous catalog for a fraction of the damn price. This month up, we have, from DC, the Green Lantern Hardcover Volume 1 Intergalactic Lawman. Godling and Training Grant Morrison with the godlike Liam Sharp. And it is $24.99 cover price, but you can has it for what? 50% off, $12.49. From Marvel, we have Immortal Hulk Hardcover Volume 1 collecting a massive 10-issue run, that's 1 to 10, of uh, the, the new Immortal Hulk book with Avengers eight, uh, 684, material from right. Avengers 684. Right. It, it's 35 bucks, but not to you, nope, you can has it for $17.49. Bringing up the rear is from Titan Comics. This is a great little book that uh, more or less went under the radar. I mean, I think it's gained a reputation since its publication, but it's still not a household name. But it's great because it's written by Max Allen Collins and drawn by the awesome Terry Beattie with uh, cover art by Dennis Cowan. It's Ms. Tree, Volume 1. And it's a twenty four ninety nine cover price, which is not bad considering how much you get in this book. But uh, DCBS has thankfully slashed it 50%, and you can get it for $12.49. The cheapness. I don't even think you can buy the back issues for that cheap. DCBService.com does not mind late orders or additions, and you get your books all shipped nice and sound to your door. What could be to, easier? I need to get that Immortal Hulk. I need to get that. It's so good. You do. Right. Yeah. Okay. I've heard too many good things. I need to try that. It's very good. Unexpectedly yeah. good. It's a different yeah. take, but it's, it's wow, crazy good. Like they have a plan, which you can't always say no. about, about mainstream stuff. But what are you going to do? So what's up, fellas? Shit. 
Yeah. Duff. This is almost like okay. C2E2 uh, 3 or 4. Right. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> right. Because uh, if the people listen to our book of the month, there you go. Most of us are here, right? Not about most of us. Most of us. Yeah, the best of us are here. The most Italian of us. There was, <laughs> yeah, that's true. You yeah. know, we all we all are, we all here are a little Italian. This is this is uh, you know Italian o'clock comics right now. Right, so. it's right. There's nothing wrong with that. Paisans. Right. So in that spirit, what are y'all drinking? Oh, well, kick us off, Vince. Uh, water. Water. Pure, unfiltered. Well, it's not. It's filtered, but it's pure water. That's what I'm drinking. It's unfiltered, straight out, straight out of the cr- the Scranton River. The crick. <laughs> the crick. And what about you, Mario? Uh, I have uh, two beverages because I'm finishing up a little bit of a uh, little bit of some whiskey here. I have a little bit of uh, Eagle Rare bourbon, but as my beverage of choice because i was drinking that before the show but my beverage of choice for the show vince I, this is for you buddy you oh ready boy. for this no but what is it have you had the new dogfish head and I... do you know which one i'm talking about no i don't in collaboration with one of the greatest bands of all time the flaming lips oh the yes i've heard dogfish of it fish head Dragons and yum yums. Yeah, you got that. Is it sweet? Yeah, I picked up today. I haven't opened. I haven't cracked it yet. Okay. I'll let you know in a minute. But it is the, the, the first of all, the box art is amazing on the uh, six pack box. Wayne do it? Uh, no, it doesn't look like Wayne. Um, you would think that he would, but it does. It, it's too cartoony for Wayne. Um, but it's uh, t- the description of this beer. Uh, we collaborated with the Flaming Lips to brew this Tropo Cosmic Tart Pale Ale with a combo of Yumberry, Dragon Fruit, Passion Fruit, Pear Juice, and Black Carrot Juice. Oh, shit. That sounds, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. It sounds sweet to me. It does sound sweet. But, you know, yeah. the Flaming Lips, one of my favorite bands of all times. I couldn't pass it up. You, you, I'll open it yeah, I'll true. Open it shortly and let you know. I'm gonna have to get it too, but I mean, I'll drink it, but I don't know if I'm gonna like it because all that that sugar going on in there. Yeah, it's a lot of fruit. Yeah, but hey, it's fitting, right? Yeah, absolutely. There you go, Daniel. What are you drinking? Uh, I've just got a half-empty cup of cold Dunkin' Donuts coffee with a little chocolate syrup in it. Nice. Pretty, I, pretty pathetic, but it's good though. I would expect you to be drinking the sweet. I usually don't actually, but tonight I need a little sugar boost. So this is good, and I love when the the hot coffee gets cold. I really like that for some reason. Because we are living in the pastry age. Yeah. Yep. Yes, we are. <laughs> Too true. Yeah. I need sweets. I need sweets. I can't live without them. Sweets are like a major food group to me. Do you have like a big sweet tooth, friends? Huge sweet tooth. I would eat sweets over anything: steak, uh, pasta, pizza, anything. <laughs> if you you put a, a um, an eclair next, I, I'm going for the eclair. Oh, yeah, I love the. That's why I love your Facebook posts because I can live vicariously through you. <laughs> it's such a shame that we can't just live on sugar. You know, right? It's not healthy for you. That's I think is a real you know 
bad thing about life and living. We should be able to just exist on sugar and pastries. I think we'd be a lot happier. That's well, great. Well, the big, you know? the big person pulling the strings did that for a reason, right? Here's this, yeah. here's this awesome thing. stuff that tastes really great, but if you eat too much of it, you're going to get all, all fucked up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what's, uh, we, exactly. do we have any thank you, Snap? David, David, how about tell us what you're drinking? Oh, he didn't? No. What are you drinking? Oh, sure. It's my, it's a regular episode. Vince, it's, it's always ready to just move on past. I said what I'm drinking, we're good. Um, I got you, boo. Did you? I hear you, boo. Thank you much. I um, I was looking for. I, th- I should have looked for an Italian wine since I'm sitting here with a couple of paisans tonight. So I didn't. But I also figured I, I thought about having some some bourbon with Mario, but I didn't. I am enjoying the Desenio Old Vine Malbec from Argentina. Don't cry Very for it. Good. Yep. Only if I spill it. David, have you tried the uh, the Bob Dylan bourbon that came out? No. I have a bottle of it. When I do finally come up to visit, I'm going to bring it with me and we'll have some. I haven't opened it yet. I got Perfect. it for gift Christmas and uh, it's, it's just been sitting here. I need to open it up. Okay. Yeah. That's something I would like to try. Dylan, what he has his own little distillery. I don't know how deeply involved he is, but he's got his name on the bottle. It's him. He's in commercials for it. Cool. Yeah, yeah. That would entice me to drink that stuff. It's supposed to be good. Yeah. All right, comics. What do we got? I don't know. We were told, you know, we had some homework. It was uh, it was a whole little, little jam folder of. Uh, suggestions there's a lot of good stuff in there well, there know. is and and i i unfortunately i should have um i didn't get to read everything and the thing that i haven't finished yet i just barely started i would have liked to have read instead of something else not that what i read i mean i enjoyed everything of what i have read but one of the things was a little didn't knock me out as as compared to the others. One of which I had, I had already started reading, and another I had planned to read. So it wasn't it, it was it wasn't hard homework, Vince. Well, so which one bad. didn't really float your boat? We'll float. We'll start with that one, and then we'll go uphill. Well, the one the one that I I would have liked to have read last. Um is the one I read third, and that is Ronin Island. Mm-hmm. Ah. I would have liked to have read the story that was uh, basically years in the making, according to the forward and the introductions. Um, and again, Ronin Island was, wasn't, it, it's it's the first part of a five-issue story, and, and, um, it is written by Greg Pak, who I'm a big fan of. Uh, illustrated by uh, Giannis, um, whole lot of Greek name. Um, yeah, Milo I am gonna try. It's it's yeah, M- Milo first name. So um, it's Milo no Giannis. Thank you. I I did like it. it. It's not like it's a it's 
not necessarily. It, it's kind of a twist on on a familiar story. There's nothing um, super groundbreaking. I, I I dig the art, and I I um, I liked it enough. I just would have shifted some things around had I um because I also didn't know one of the books was a little bigger than than the others but um, no I didn't I, you you I mean I'm not I, I'm not I don't want to kick it off by um by talking about what I didn't love about it I didn't find it lackluster at all it was just well, let's, when let's let's talk about Ronan Island yeah we're gonna set it up set it up a little bit apparently there was a great platychism something called the great wind and the survivors we're talking the the uh china japan and the uh what else what, korea. Korea. korea yes yes china japan and korea the survivors all make their way to this island and uh i were not really given all that In the much east china sea we're not really given all this information on what the great wind was or how, I mean, it obviously was bad because it looks like it appears like man has been knocked back into pre-industrial age. Um, there doesn't seem to be electricity. Did you get that vibe from it? It just seems like yeah. we're, we're talking feudal Japan um, right. to the eye anyway. Um, so you have, um, Kenichi Okamoto, who is the the heir and son of the island's first protector, right? And you have a, a, a woman, a young girl actually, Hana, who's Korean, and she's a she has a very uh, modest upbringing, to say the least. She's a farmer's daughter. Where you had Kenichi was basically royalty, lives in a, a sprawling, uh, what what passes for a sprawling palace at the time and he's trained by the best teachers you know uh but then you have hana who is she's salt of the earth right and she she scrapes together whatever she can and she's she's training to to participate in this uh first in class composition or composition competition where um the the winner is bestowed the honor of protecting the island which is great right so she and kenichi um embark on this contest which no surprise it ends in a tie but conceptually it's cool because uh master ito and elder Jin, their respective teachers they decide okay we have two halves of what could be a very strong unit right and you have kenichi who represents the old ways the the way of the samurai bushido in other words and then you have hana who represents the new world and she's like i said the daughter of a simple farmer which slams home the fact that anybody can rise up from their humble origins to become the protector so they decide to have these two work to, together to be the the protector of the island and right on cue once they decide that the island is invaded right um giant ship comes bearing down on the island and it's it's uh flying the flag of the shogun which who oddly enough has been dead for 30 years so there's a little bit of suspicion going on um because the this uh general sato claims to be an emissary from the shogun and basically his message is kneel 
or else, right? So you have an island with all these survivors from Japan, Korea, and China, and they don't have a master. So they are ronin, right? They, they serve no one but themselves. Right. And this, this general Sato commands that they bow to the shogun and share a portion of their harvests. He's, he should have been Italian in, in exchange <laughs> for protection, right? You know, you give us this and we'll help you out, okay? Anybody comes down and tries to make nasty with you, we'll step in. Right. Um, and he says, oh, by the way, there's this big old threat brewing on the mainland, and you kind of need us, so you better play fair. But uh, Kenichi is impulsive, and he thinks he's all that. Um, and he tries to take out the general with an arrow, but Hana, who's the more level-headed of the two, she she knocks him off his, his, his shot, and... Um, Master Ito has his suspicions. He's like, okay, the Shogun hasn't been around for 30 years. This Yabo thing, you know, he's saying he's he's in with the Shogun, but we haven't heard of any Shogun, right? Um, the, so the deal, and he's seen it many times, the deal was these these people pose as officials of the Shogun and they prey on the, the less powerful. And so he's not convinced. But then Elder Jin, she seems to believe that the general is legit, right? So she wants to talk about it. She says, let's sit down, break bread. We'll talk about it a little bit, and we'll see where it goes. But before they can do that, the general kind of points, and you see the threat coming, and it's attacking the the people of the island. And I'm not going to say what it is, because we've got to leave something to the people who haven't read this. But... um I'm a fan of Milo No Giannis. I mean, his his profit work is great. It's amazing. Loved it. Uh, amazingly, Love right? It's amazingly detailed. Yes. Um, very complex. Uh, well, you had you would have to be of a certain complexity to participate in the profit universe. Right. The, the very character designs are super complex, right? But I think here, I I I, I think he looks really good here. But it's almost as if he pulled back. A little bit. Yeah, my comment here is I feel like he's wasted. I think so. Well, it's um, it's beautiful and it's cute. It is, and he's doing a, he's doing a very clear manga kind of feel. You can see it in like uh, you know his 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 line work, and you know even the like certain things jump out at me, like the way he the way he just simply illustrates teeth feels like manga. Well, yeah, and he, that that's, that seems like a weird thing, but like. You know the teeth, or or just some some of the, the 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 shading, you know, like line work on faces and things like that. He's obviously going for that kind of feel, but I it does. I don't think it it suits him. I think he he is skill. He I think that he does so much better work when it's off the wall, organic. This not there's nothing organic in this to me. It's more simple character work. Right with uh, with with minimal backgrounds, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the story is 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 simplistic and you know interesting, and I you know I'll read the next issue to see where it goes, but it's it, it it's not something that knocked my socks off in any way, and I, I was upset about that because I do love uh, Giannis and his 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 work on profit. Yeah, and the stuff he did for Island was great too. I mean, oh, all, yeah, yeah. all around, he's he's a great artist. But I don't think the story called for all that complexity, which you know surprised me. 
when I heard he was going to be doing this, I thought, okay, we're going to have a, uh, an intricately detailed, dense visual complement to whatever the story was going to be. But this really doesn't call for it. When when society stripped down to basically swords and and bows and arrows, right? You don't really need. I mean, the most in- intricate thing in in the whole story is uh, Kenichi's father's armor, right? So I was taken kind of aback at just how pared down the visuals were. But I, I liked it. I thought the story was, was strong enough where it, it overcame whatever kind of preconceived notions I had going in about what, you know, Milo was going to bring. Right. Yeah. What, what, were, what were those? Like, what, what were you thinking? What were you expecting? Well, I mean, if you, if you experience profit, um, uh, okay. Right. Um, Milo Nogianis draws very, very dense drawings. Like e- even if he's drawing foliage and trees and 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 you know um, fauna and stuff, it's just he he's very um, kitchen sink. Like he throws yeah. everything into it. He's not Jeff Darrow, but right. he he has a very very. Um, involved approach to stuff where this was he basically just delineated the the characters like there was no noodling going on or no um he didn't break a lot of the confines of the contour line which is right. to me it's not kind of like not like him but i thought it was fine i thought it was the, i think the story is the selling point here i don't think I'm, i may be doing a disservice to giannis to to say the art's really not the selling point here but it's for me it wasn't it it was simple it was effective but the thing that's going to have me coming back for issues two to five is the story i want to see what happens i want to see what's going on yeah all right yeah and it's published by boom which was a little strange i would expect this to be like a i don't know feels part of it Part of it felt like a dark horse book. That's exactly what I was going to say. It feels like a dark horse book. And again, uh, not a slight, but no, not at all. Yeah. This sounds interesting. I'm at a disadvantage because I had some computer troubles before the Skype troubles, so I, I haven't read. Any oh, you could. File. Yeah, you could down this in like no time. Yeah. yeah. I got a slight like, and I'm not talking about quality of work, but I got a slight, you know, and that's that it's because of 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 subject matter. But I did get a slight Usagi Ojimbo vibe from it. Yeah, um, it's true. Uh, I think that I think that Sakai is much more masterful masterful in doing that. But um, I got I did get that kind of a, a yeah. Usagi vibe too. Well, it. that's pretty much the time period in which this these people find themselves right i mean not not literally but right. in terms of what they had available to them it's still this around the same you know time uh, i could see this clicking with like i don't want to say kids because we all know kids don't read comics but like you know teens ish 20s ish like like the people i th- i think the people that buy into the serialized young adult novels this is kind of the same thing to me you know Two young people rising up to protect their homeland. I could see this being a series of of uh, adventures. Why not? Because well, I'm sure by the end of this 
story, we're really not going to see all that much of the world other than the island or maybe the surroundings of the island. The, you know, I, I don't think we're going to traverse the whole globe. So there's a whole lot of this world that we've yet to see. I think it would work. There you go. That's good. Yeah. I, I like when artists tend to change it up a little bit and do something different, whether it's successful or not. It's always kind of curious to see how they view what they do because you have to be aware of what you're doing. You know, like how you make art, and then you decide to change that. That's sort of interesting to me. That makes me want to look at it. Now. Right, right. Sometimes you got to step out, right? And, yeah, and you have to change sometimes. Yeah. Whether it's good or bad, like you need that alteration. And there's a reason why Keith Giffen did Trencher. It wasn't because he felt like letting loose just for the sake of letting loose. He beat that nine-panel grid to death in right. almost everything he did. And then, you know, after a while, he's probably like, fuck, if I got to see nine more boxes on a page, I'm going to kill somebody. And right. so he, he, um, he almost literally exploded with that trencher stuff and and the you know the his more experimental work was because he was so rigid and confined and and I I shouldn't say confined because it worked really well for him for a period of time but I could see where going like playing the same song every month would be a drag after years and years and years of doing it sure so you got to just blow up once in a while but this is the inverse of that one, I mean, yeah. Daniel, Daniel, once you see profit, this is like, you, you, it's, I mean, you could tell it's, I know, but I haven't got, yeah. you could tell it's the same dude. It's just like, wow. It's like he's holding in a sneeze, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Did we say all we want to say about this thing? I, I, I give it a thumb up. I thought it was, it was good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I just felt I wanted more from Giannis, but I, you know, I enjoyed it. Had I not had profit, I would have enjoyed this probably more. Right, right, right. Thumb up, Dap, or, or thumb sideways? No, it's 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 a thumb up. It, it's not. Listen, it, it's where it where it ranks in how I felt that day based on other things I read has no bearing on the story itself. It's. It's a solid start to something, and 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 that last page, you know, when when everybody's like, you know, yeah, no, now now we fight, and you know, it, it's Greg knows how to end a note on wanting you to, and you want to come back and, and see where it's going. So I, it, it's you know, it 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 is definitely recommended. Nice. We could talk about an extremely dense book. Next. I mean, we can go from the somewhat light and airy to the amazing dwarf neutron star of Bronze Age Boogie. I th- I thought, yikes, it, it's the, the counterpoint to Ronan Island, at least visually, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did we, Daniel, did you check out Bronze Age Boogie? No, I didn't get to read any of Vince. I'm a little bummed about that, but. That was the first one I clicked on because of just the name alone. That was right. what I wanted to read really badly. And then I had some issues, so I read some other things. But Okay. But please tell me about it because it's, the name alone, that was like, I was like, I want to read that right away. And Oh, it's going to kick your ass. It really yeah, is. Yeah, it sounds like it. It's uh, subtitled Swords Against Dacron, at least the main story in this thing, was uh, written by Stuart Moore, 
illustrated by Alberto Ponticelli with color art by uh, Julia Brusco, and it's published by Ahoy Comics. This is one of the first season two books. And it, it's a little bit of a strange egg, um, let me tell you, because it, it starts off with a, a prologue that seems to take place in 1972, but it looks like no 1972 that I was aware of. 75. Uh, 75. You have um, a talking ape, a a golem dressed in um, a go-go outfit, a bald golem in in uh, knee-high boots, and a, a golem. Yes, and a, a go-go outfit. Well, not not really. It's just a '60s-ish, late early '70s kind of frilly sleeve, wild pattern. Uh, scoop. You'd see it on on laughing or on M appeal, something like that. Yeah, and uh, this Doc Lunar. Who's claiming that you know the shit has hit the fan? I mean, we got problems. We're being invaded, and the um, the ape in the chair, who's appropriately named Madame Ape, uh, <laughs> she says uh, it's a wheelchair actually, and uh, she says, you know what? Don't don't get all your, your panties in a bunch. We have still have some some tricks up our sleeve, and and she gives him a a bag, and it's a Spencer's gift bag. From it's a, it's a period specific Spencer's gift bag, yes. and he goes and does something, and and uh, that's the 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 majority of the prologue. But then the you, you have a uh, three thousand nine hundred and forty nine years earlier. That's a long time, right? Um, the meat of the story is there's a bunch of uh, you have a princess and a king, and it's King Domnall. Constantine of Morabia and his daughter, Teen. Her name is Britta Constantine. She's a princess and, and he's trying to uh, show her the ways of the world and how to fight and all that because there's a bunch of wizards in a high tower that are up to no, no good. And they're sending out these zombie soldiers. Now, that may conjure visual images when I say zombie soldiers. You may think of just anthropomorphic once alive humans but this is more than that you have zombie t-rexes and zombie elephants and bears and apes and zombie werewolf soldiers i mean it's all over the map right and they're spewing around this tower and atop the tower you got this giant massive crimson jewel and it's said to be the source of the wizard's power and it begins just belching out these this massive blasts of fire across multiple points in the battlefield. And, and King Domnall's troops are getting routed and people are dying. He's like, all right, we got, we got to get the hell out of here. We got to retreat, right? So there's a, a subplot involving the princess hearing this voice in her head. And it's, it's kind of cryptic and, and kind of... Um, sing song and she doesn't know where it's coming from and she she passes it off it's like what you know whatever what is this crap i just wanted to stop and she's got a, a box of trinkets and appropriately enough all of the trinkets are bronze age bric-a-brac right you got fuzzy dice and that that little mercury powered drinking bird i had one you'd put a glass of water in front of it and you dip the bird's beak in the water 
and it would start bobbing back and forth, and the mercury would eventually rise until the bird's beak went in the drink. And That's then what Homer Simpson used to do his job once. Yeah, yep. yes. power plant going. Yeah, yeah, I had one of those until I broke it and played with the mercury with my hands. Maybe that explains a lot. Oh, that explains a lot. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, there's a hair pick in there with a, a black power uh, fist on it. You know, she calls them her secrets, right? And she, she, she claims that that voice inside her head kind of originates from this zone called the taboo zone. That's a place beyond the wizard's castle, and it's supposedly, uh, you know, incredibly powerful place, ancient power surrounded by this unbreachable barrier. But she's lost in the voice, right? And she's kind of imagining the identity of its owner. And she's visited by another talking ape called the Sniffer Ape. And he's from the future, the Sniffer Ape. He, he once had a time machine. But it broke. <laughs> the, the time machine broke, and now he's abandoned. His family abandoned him, and and he's from a planet where apes rule supreme. Sound familiar? Yep. If you if you're talking Bronze Age and you're not at least doing something Planet of the Apes, you're doing a disservice to the Bronze Age. I mean, that's what I thought when she talked about the uh, not the Forbidden Zone or whatever you just said. She yeah, the it. Taboo Zone. That's essentially taboo the Forbidden Zone, zone yeah. right? Um. Sniffer has a drug problem, or he had a drug problem, but never mind. He's, he senses something special in Britta, right? He claims something that may be the key to everything. And he gives her this disco ball ornament, like something you would see hanging from a car mirror in the mid to late 70s, right? And he says it's one of his last trinkets from his time. And she puts it in her, in, you know, she's, it's a beautiful little disco ball, right? Um, and not too much is explained about the disco ball, but almost immediately the, Marab- the Martians show. Up. Yes, the Morabians are attacked by Martians, and it's don't essentially the Martians showing up at um, what's Conan's land, Hyber- uh Samaria, Hy- Hyboria, or oh, the Hy- Hyberborean, yeah. It's 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 strange, right? It's it's swords and sandals and talking monkeys and zombie T Rexes and then Martians. Yeah, I mean it's it's like here's seventies comics and let's put them all in one comic. Yeah, right. Because you you do the laundry list of of Bronze Age stuff: John Carter, Warlord of Mars, um, yep. Planet of the Apes, right? Conan, Conan, um, Daughters of the Dragon. Because the voice inside Britta's head looks a lot like Misty Knight without, you know, the robotics. Mm-hmm. And um, Kill Raven, that was a staple of the Bronze Age. Yep. And, and so while the, the Moravians are being attacked by the Martians, Britta's little disco ball starts to glow. And Dad's like, you know, come on, we got to beat these bastards. And Britta gets transported somewhere else. To uh, 1972, it looks like. And the Martians are attacking there as well and blowing shit up in a beautiful double-page spread by Ponticelli. Um, now, this is what I was talking about when you're talking dense. Like, this architecture is... Whew, everything's... Dr- it, it looks like Times Square. So you have um, advertising all over the place, uh, cityscape, rampaging Martian 
tri- are they tripods? No, they have four legs. No, no, they're not quadrupods. Tripods. And uh, cars flying in the air, people getting blowed away. It, it's just beautiful, right? And so, um, this is when she meets that. Uh, apparently, she meets the owner of the voice in her head. The the uh, Afro-headed Nubian goddess that she visualized from uh, what she had heard, uh, what she had felt inside her head, and then it goes. Um, we got a cliffhanger. Yep. Which is okay, because when you give me this much, I'm kind of full. I'm kind of I, I I don't really need a whole lot more in this first issue, ju- at least for this first part, because you set the stage and you gave me pretty much everything. Well, most of the stuff that I loved. Um, from the Bronze Age. There's no man thing in here, but that's okay. Maybe we'll see a swamp creature somewhere along the line. You know, or a talking duck, maybe. Well, we got talking monkeys, so that would be a, a semi-fitting replacement for the talking duck. But I think this is cool. Uh, I just Googled it. The uh, the zombie T-Rex is rad. Mm-hmm. The zombie t- T-Rex is rad. I just Googled some of the images, and uh, this is a really beautiful-looking book. Yeah, and there's somebody riding on a T-Rex, not in like a devil dinosaur kind of fit. Yes, 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 yeah. And it it does have a a Conan vibe to it, too. Some of the zombies are are traditional humans, and they're all in the... uh, the battle gear and you know it's it, there's necromancy involved uh, i would think it uh, no it was awesome and and it says uh if you read the there's a couple page text piece it is a, an ahoy comic by the way so you're going to have text pieces by uh stuart moore and he's like yeah you know what um he, he talks about meeting archie goodwin and archie really didn't like space opera Back in the day, and he'd be like, you know, that, that stuff's intolerable. But then he read the work of Jack Vance, someone who does space opera really freaking good. And he said, um, you know, I started to enjoy that which I thought I didn't like. And um, Stuart Moore is talking about nostalgia. And he's not a whole big f- fan of nostalgia, but in the spirit of Archie enjoying the work of Jack Vance when he thought he hated that genre. Stuart was going to embrace nostalgia for the sake of, you know, this story. And he found out that he maybe he kind of likes nostalgia a little bit. It's a nice little text piece. It is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I thought uh, that's what I like about Ahoy comics. You get a whole lot of meat, you know, in addition to the sequential art and, and great storytelling. They're always very liberal with um, lots and lots of pages of text in the back. So if yeah, you you're spending three ninety nine. You're getting your money's worth. Yeah, the you have the main story. You have a backup story, and you have some text pieces. So it's not quite an anthology, but you it's it's packed like the, it is one. Um, yep. Yeah. And I really dug the backup story here as well, Major Ursa. Yeah, it's. I thought it was good. It was um, written by Tyrone Finch, with art by. Um, it's French, so I'm probably gonna poop all over it. Marseille. Do you think there's a T at the end? So I guess you don't say that part. So Marseille, Maurice, I don't know. But uh, the colors by Lee Lowridge, and it's it's a it's cute. It, it's a it's a what if type tale where instead of um, the United States using uh, 
apes for test subjects or monkeys. They use a bear. Bear and, and Elvis. Yeah, and they send the bear up, and uh, he's bombarded by magnetic or, or radiation or cosmic rays or whatever. And when he comes down, uh, the bear can speak. Yeah. And the 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 uh, people um, doing the test firing, um, the woman and the man had once been married. And so yeah. there's 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 um, angst between the two of them. And um, one tries to one up the other one. And the 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 colonel who wanted who was, you know, he wanted to go up in the 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 rocket. He's kind of holds a grudge against this bear name Elvis, right? Who the, the ex-wife really seems to love. And uh, the bear really loves her and blah, blah, blah. So now that the bear can talk, maybe we're going to have some unrequited love going on in the next one because it's it's said specifically, don't expect what you expect from part two. Yeah. So I'm thinking maybe we get some some bear on woman love going on. It's possible. Who knows? It's going to happen. Possible. Yeah. It's possible. And did you see that uh, in this uh, text piece called Animal Control Incident Reports, who did the, the spot illustration? Sean Crystal. Yeah. Yeah, Sean Crystal. Look at that. And it's it's really nice. No surprise, but it's it's nice. Did you see who did the one after that? Derek yeah. Robertson, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They got some – and this Keck W guy, uh, we talked about him before. He does a lot of work for uh, Rebellion in 2000 AD. So uh, when he writes an article called How to Beat Writer's Block, I'm going to kind of pay attention because I really like the stuff he does. So, no, again, yeah. uh, Mario, you haven't been too uh, vocal. What's up with this? Did you like it? Yeah, this was this was actually my first Ahoy comic that I've read. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the main story. It felt, uh, I mean, I... There, it's a weird vibe because, you know, there it's it's like they put a bunch of seventy stuff into a, you know, uh, Yahtzee cup and shook it up and dumped it out. And sure, yeah, you know what I mean. So like, and I understand that's the whole vibe, but you know, there also was stuff that was just laughable in a sense that I I don't know if I like it or not. Like when she yells, "Sit on it, Potsy!" Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I just don't, I just don't know what the point of that is. Like, is that just, is that like breaking the fourth wall for us? It's, it, I feel like I don't know if, and then what else does she say? Oh, she says, don't squeeze a Charmin. Yeah. Well, that, <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know, like, is that a joke just for us? Or is well, it something from within the narrative that happy is. Happy days, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Or is it something in the narrative that is important? That um, I don't feel a real delineation between what those what those are for, right? So that makes me feel like it's either if it if I can't determine that, then is it like not clear writing? Well, um, the sniffer ape is from seventy two, and he gives her stuff, so he may have told her about Potsy about Potsy, or he may have introduced her to the. The culture terms and yeah. yeah, you don't know. Yeah. But to me, I mean, when you call your book Bronze Age Boogie, that's pretty much an unabashed invitation 
to include everything you possibly can from i mean you're not you're you're not coy about the fact that there's a very specific time period that you're you're pulling from and if it's in the name it's fair game right so sit on it potsy is is extremely appropriate because uh, happy days was huge in the 70s so i i didn't i know i didn't i didn't find it off-putting i it was kind of silly but you know it didn't it didn't uh you know shake the foundations right right yeah all right it's it sounds like he's every single thing in this book is dedicated to the bronze age so I, i wonder how long he can keep that up you know is this a limited series or an ongoing I don't think it's an ongoing, is it? Um, I do not know. Let's see. Um, in the uh, Inside Fred and Cover, it says Bronze Age Boogie Volume 1, Number 1. So if if I know Ahoy, they're going to do this for five or six issues, see how right. it floats, and then if, if it sells well, they'll go, come back to it. If not, then they won't. Gotcha. So this, I'm guessing this Jesus. is a, yeah. It's essentially a five-issue series. Yeah. Right. Because uh, this is going to be a hard sell. Didn't DC remove Bronze Age from their omnibuses for um, marketing reasons recently? Like they, they, they're, they're taking the Bronze Age off. I just read that today. Yeah. yeah. So I guess it's, it, they find it detrimental to sales. I guess those books aren't moving. I don't know. I didn't really go into the article other than reading the, you know, DC's removing, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, okay, that's all I need to know. Just the tight, just, just the term like bronze age. Just yeah. Removing it from, okay. Yeah. Kind of strange Would that. That's like a, a clarion call for, for us, meaning, you know, we who uh, of our age group, I guess for younger um readers, it doesn't really mean all that much. It doesn't have, as Jason would say, it doesn't have the same cachet. Right, right. Which is sad, but okay. Because I think it was the best, most vibrant time in comics. But again, I, I can't be objective in that in, in my assessment because the Bronze Age is when I first started reading comics. So right, of course, it's going to be your, my golden age. age. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Daniel, you said what? What do you got? What did you read? Uh, I checked out this Steve Ditko. Ditko's monster from oh uh, nice book. I picked this uh, up, uh, Gorgo uh, and Conga yeah holy shit this book is great uh, does, now does it have all of ev- like everything Gorgo and Conga like how thick is this book it's pretty pretty damn thick it's about nine ninety nine and I'm trying to think there's a page count you have well the Conga starts with issue five and okay. you get I think two or three issues. All right. And then Gorgo, which is the one I enjoyed more, is that starts at number one. And same thing, you get two or three issues. I think it's two. So it's four-issue book. That makes more sense. Yeah. And, well, is this... Uh, I have some questions. Okay. Because it's number one, I don't know Gorgo. And it seems like it's based on a real movie i read the forward here by tony isabella and is this something that you're really you guys know like, yeah have you yeah. seen this movie yeah 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 it's a, it's a mother and child movie basically the um they take the the baby gorgo and 
put him into a like a like a sideshow act. Right. It's a British film, actually. It's it's one of the rare kaiju films that wasn't made in Japan. Um, you know, the the giant, traditional Godzilla-like giant kaiju monster that wasn't Japanese. And they, they take the baby right. and they put him in a sideshow and Mama freaks out and she just ta- stomps all over, uh, you know, London and England and, and blah, blah, blah. Um, right. But yeah, it's it's a classic of <clears throat> of the the fifties um, monster movies. It it, it played um, weekends on cable for like freaking decades. Right. You know, it's just, it, it was just it's just a schlock B movie of them cashing in on the Godzilla. Yeah, but it was love. surprisingly well done for the for the time and the fact that it was British. Um, the I think the Gorgo design is amazing. It's one of the, the best kaiju designs. Again, that didn't come out of Japan. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's a wonderful movie, but is it a great movie? <laughs> that depends on how you define great. You know, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's popcorn, uh, giant monster schlock. So I love it, but you know, it, it, it is of its very much of its time, but yeah, it's, right. it's like a mother and child story and, and Conga, I'm not sure the origins of that. I think that's all Steve. I'm pretty much, I think that's just you know steve was doing uh because i believe ditko is the creator of conga no conga was a british film as well same time seriously nice. yeah yeah it was um it was uh let me think that movie's about like there's a doctor who um is like in africa and uh they think he's dead and he there's something about he, he's some kind of botanist. He figures out some kind of plant thing. And then he has a baby, baby chimp that he's testing out his theory with this plant. It's, it's almost like he discovers how to like grow plants really quickly. And then the baby chimp, he, you know, tests the, his, his, uh, his, his serum on the chimp and it grows into the giant sized you know, gorilla. Um, right. and then of course, you know, it, it goes nuts and attacks everybody. God damn um, it. Yes. But it looks nothing like well the name should have tipped me off. It looks nothing like Ditko's version. The movie you mean? Yeah. Well, I mean that's Ditko. Right. Well, see that was sort of my question because I I guess this has been or uh, these are adaptations of those movies. Certainly the uh the Gorgo one. Yeah. I didn't know if this was just, you know, more tales of this creature or if this had been a huge thing back then all right well i'm guessing well yeah. I, i'm almost certain that there's not all the gorga and conga in there because i have no. i have both volumes and they're like at least two and a half inches thick yeah oh, i have wow. both volumes from um who did those idw did um, it, uh did ditko draw all of those yes wow. oh, i want to get all of every single issue of gorgo yes <laughs> there's a there's an idw collection i don't know if it's still in print but it does exist yeah you know, I'm not like the biggest Steve Ditko. Uh, you know, I don't know, um, but I've seen his work obviously a ton. You know, and this Gorgo stuff is beautiful. I, I was reading this uh, interview, uh, not an interview, but somebody put up a post today about Steve Ditko and a, and a fan who was writing him letters. And yeah, and, I saw and that. finally got to go hang out in the studio. You saw that, right? Jim Rudd put it up. That's where I read it. Yeah, and, yeah. And it was really fascinating. And he had mentioned at some point that Wally Wood had inked a bunch of some of his work. 
And I, I'm wondering as I'm looking at this, if Wally Inc. this work, because not knowing all of Steve's work, but I've seen a, a good enough amount of it, realize that this work here in this book is so much more uh, defined and the lines are so so much, they're like solid, you know? This is a really beautifully inked Steve Ditko work. Whether he did this himself, it doesn't say, but it looks different than what I usually expect. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um, I, I think Wally Wood did ink some of that. It yeah, looks I'm like it sure. did, he did, but I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, they sh- they shared studio space. They 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 were together a lot. So, gotcha. I mean, okay. even if it, even if he's not credited, you know, it's always possible that he, you know, Dicko would have slid pages over to Wood to to, right. to to noodle on. Yeah, there's no real credits in the in the comic that I have in front of me. And in the first page of Gorgo, there's like a little rectangle with Steve Ditko's name, but that's just about all you get. And this stuff is really gorgeous it kind of reminds me of when jack kirby was inked by wallywood for what is that space yeah uh space rangers uh, yeah but yeah yeah yeah. so that's what i took away from it you know uh it's like being the uh the guy who draws like i'm looking at the most and paying the most attention to this is really some of the most beautiful steve dickel work i've ever seen i love it yeah and it's fun it's really fun like now you're explaining the movie to me i get it because it's it's about this creature and the little kid and (laughs) It's a it's a fun read. I love yeah. these Yo books too. I love how they're basically printed right from the original comics. I would assume because yeah. the yellowing is still on the page, and there's you know the little pops and cracks from printing are still visible. And I get a kick out of that. I really enjoy that. I'd rather that than them be all cleaned up and you know colored differently. Yep, same, same. Yeah. That's how um, Haunted Horror, the Craig Yo. Um, takes old public domain, you know, uh, pre-code horror books, and they just scan the pages, you know? So if if you got one page that was printed off register, it's it's reproduced that way, you know? So I love that, too. And right, they don't even clean up the paper color between the panels or around the panels. They just leave it all brown and crusty. Yeah, I love that. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah, that's the uh, Chip Kid approach. He made that. He legitimized that. It, right. When when Chip Kid was doing those books, and he would just do the the image as it exists. You know, I, the, if if it's from a comic, they just took either photographed or took a picture or, or scanned the page, and then he printed it like that. And people's like, I you know, I guess it's okay to do that. Like that Shazam book, that Chip right. Kid. It just loaded with old crusty images, and it, that's that's wonderful. I. I really appreciate that when i i didn't have anybody in the family that read comics at all but apparently i found at some point that my grandfather collected them in the 30s and 40s and there was a box sitting in the basement that i finally found out about when i was like 18 you know and it was it, it's just all these old comics and and looking at them i, I you know I, would, I i got i love them and i love them mostly because of the way they looked when i got them you know, right. and that always stuck with me. I always, I, I, I enjoy the yellowing and the and the frailty of the paper, and it's, it, it makes it such a more, you know, wonderful thing to look at. You know, so right. I like that he does. That. Yeah, yep, very cool, very cool book. Yeah. I'm glad I got this. Well, speaking of of you know, um, condition of books, like I can and and how they impact our memory. 
way back in the day, I can remember buying um, books for you know far less than cover price at the the, the local newsstand wouldn't right. wouldn't strip them and send them back. Like oh, yeah. he had a box of books behind the counter that if if you wanted to, you can go behind the counter and just thumb through them. And some some of them were were from the newsstand others were that he had acquired from his customers like i don't want these anymore you know you, you sell them and in some of the books the marvel value stamp was cut out <laughs> so i can remember and i still have the books like i can remember what issues i bought that had the marvel stamp cut out of them or right. if if somebody went and they drew on the cover like that that burns itself into your brain and i think it's only because we were so young like now yeah. if we ever got a book like that we wouldn't think twice about it we just you know read it throw it in our box and we'd forget about it but yeah. be- because we're we were so impressionable back then it it has it resonated and it stuck you know it, it the hooks were there and that's that's why bronze age is is my time I remember everything, um, all where I got the books, what condition I got them in, uh, you know, which ones left my hands, which ones I kept. I, I, that's I, I care about that stuff, so it's important to me. So that's yeah. why I remember it now. I, whatever, right? It, it, yeah. It's not so important. It, it, they're, they're disposable now, whereas back then they were very much essential. Yep. I love when you find one that's got an actual hand stamp of a date on the you know, like they just Oh yeah. Just didn't give a shit at yep. all. It was yep. just a you know, a thing, a, a cheap little thing. And if it didn't sell, then they just got rid of it and tossed it and they would stamp things on the cover of the comic and uh, you know, it really makes it turn into something like a real object, you know. Some some person touched this book. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. One of my favorite things is um when uh the Heroes World ads were running in the books and the they were produced by the Kubert school and you could tell right. cuz some of the figures were definitely drawn by Joe and the book a previously owned book someone had gone in and circled them or checked off yeah. the ones they want and filled out the coupon to send in but mom probably squashed it and they never sent it in so you had this this little time capsule of Jimmy McGinnis Young Jimmy McGinnis pick, <laughs> picking his his favorites and, and you know totaling them up and more often than not the total was wrong, um, and and there you have it like you that that's a a time capsule it's a wayback machine the, this child wanted these things and for whatever reason never followed through and never got them, but right. there, there's proof right there somebody loved Poor this Jimmy. book. Poor Jimmy, little bastard. Start delivering papers, <laughs> you little Welch. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So is that all we're going to say about the Bronze Age Boogie? Yes? Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it's one of... It's weird. I, I It's exact when, when I when I read the solicit and, and I ticked it off and knew it was coming, so I got it at the shop and... It was pretty much what I expected it to be, and it's. I, I am definitely a fan of the Bronze Age. I think you and I appreciate different, um, different stories from that era. Yeah, it's but true. I still, I, I, I still recognize it. It's very impactful, and and I wouldn't. 
enjoy as much as I do if if I missed out on that. Um, but yeah, I think I, I I'm leaning more towards Mario's take where it was it, it was it was kind of a it was a, it was a shotgun approach and and everything hit the wall and it didn't matter what missed or fell off of it it was still going going in this book at least so far it looks like after this first issue um it's it's nifty i dig it it's it definitely feels like an ahoy book if if anything can feel like an ahoy book with the few things we've heard from them so far uh so yeah i mean i'm i'm in for the next couple at least i I, i'm curious about it i and i i really do dig the package it has a very sturdy cover it's 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 a really nice nice put together book so uh, i'm looking forward to seeing what their trades are like with the with the wrong earth when that comes out yeah it's another good one yep yeah which i'm i'm behind on so i did i i haven't read everything that's in the trade i want to catch up on that i still didn't read five and six the same yeah but so good jamal's like i don't know what kind of uh, oh, whatever the next level is, he's past that. Yeah, it's, it's insane. What performance-enhancing drugs he's taken, but um, he is just, I mean, he was always good, but this is like, uh, you know, he's on some kind of mojo juice. It's amazing. And I, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. He's obviously not taking drugs to get, be a better artist, but creatively, this is like Dapset. It's a it's a quantum leap. It's, it's like the people he, uh, he, he picks on on Twitter, almost like um, help him boost him and and just kind of it's it's almost like that's that's the drug it's because i i follow him on twitter and and we, we we tend to follow the same threads and um the things he he tweets and posts on there really don't have anything to do with with the work he's doing uh it, it's more personal stuff or things that you know he uh he may take umbrage with but um yeah, whatever. It, it's it's like you know the the meme of you know drinking, drinking on you know the fanboy or hater tears and things like that. It's yeah. like whatever whatever he's doing there is is he seems to be just um, that's his game of radiation and and he's just he's doing some fantastic work. Yeah, Mario, are you still here? No, somebody. Uh, no, I'm back. I got booted, but I'm back. Oh, See, okay. th- th- what the hell is with this Skype? I just got an I, alert I saying Mario got booted. Yeah, same. How could what? I'm, how I'm could back. a piece of software say this person got booted? It, it should say we suck and and can't yeah. maintain four connections at once. Yeah. Oi, Daniel's still here too, right? Yeah, I'm here. All right, excellent. Well, we just got to make sure. We in, we in. Uh, so, is there? Uh, has anybody read anything that wasn't in that there uh, on that list? Yep. Yes. Okay. Don't make me beat it out of you, David. You haven't. You, you talk. No, I want to hear what the guest has to say. I'll get to all, right. all right. All right. I'll, all right. All right. I'll talk. Um. So I read uh, a book. By the new book by Box Brown. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Cannabis, the Illegalization of Weed in America. Ah, sweet. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, it was funny because as I was 
I finished this the other day, and then uh, before we had the show, I flipped through it just to kind of like refresh my mind about you know what was what the book was. And as I as I was sitting there thinking about it and like making mental notes, I thought, motherfucker, one of the like uh, like either the the last time or the time before last that I was on, I talked about Box Brown's new book, which at the time was the Andy Kaufman book, Mm -hmm. Uh, and. and I thought, well, here I am back again talking about Box Brown. Um, well, it's not like you first came on talking about the Andre the Giant book. No, that's true. Um, but yeah, so this is um, it's if you know Box Brown, uh, if you don't, he's a independent cartoonist. He um, he's done a lot of uh, interesting work. He does stuff with Retrofit Comics. Uh, at one time, he ran that. I don't know if he still does or not. Um, but he did the Andre the Giant biopic. Not, it's not a pic. It's a biography, I guess, graphic novel. Um, there was an Andy Kaufman one out about a year ago. Uh, he's done other stuff like um, a graphic novel called An Entity Observes All Things, and that's a great one. Yeah, I love that one, and a lot of a lot of stuff, some some little comics and stuff. But this is this is his style. The last few books with the Andre book and the Andy Kaufman book is. He's pretty much just, as a cartoonist, just conveying, um, you know, like uh, research. That's what he's doing. He's just pretty much like he researched the topic and he kind of conveys it through his drawings. And this one is very much like that and even more so because it's it reads like here's where weed started and here is where weed went and especially in the united states here are all the little steps that happened to make it illegal and it, it, it it's not it's you know box he is a he, he he does not hide the fact that he is you know uh a marijuana lover he talks about it on social media all the time and i thought getting this book it would be a little bit more have that kind of vibe to it in the sense that you know he's somebody that would be pro-legalization and he wants to you know make sure everybody you know can get weed but this is just very much like a here's how it was here here's how it was made illegal um it starts out in uh india um and talks about uh you know hindu mythology and and how india started they you know they 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 had marijuana and they ground it up and they they made it into a drink and it became uh part of uh certain types of Hindus, um, their uh, worship practice. Um, and then it goes into just, you know, it goes through time and it goes to farmers and it goes through, um, uh, you know, like uh, the Bureau of Narcotics um, trying to make it illegal in the United States. Uh, and it focuses, a large portion of it focuses on this person that worked for the Bureau of Narcotics, this man, um, Harry Anslinger. And, uh, he really had it out for marijuana. He wanted it gone. And he, uh, and according to Box's book and his research, he really went out of his way, Harry Angslinger, to fabricate fake information about marijuana. Um, Worst person ever. Yes. He, uh, <laughs> he uh, anytime there was a, a story Jeez. 
about uh, anytime there was a story about someone going crazy and like killing a family, he he made sure everybody knew that person smoked marijuana. Anytime there was anything wrong with society, he made sure that people knew it was marijuana, even though it wasn't. It's uh, a bum rap. Yeah, <laughs> he. Uh, I mean, the book really kind of you know it, it does tell the story of how you know so much of the legalization of weed and the problem was race. It was race based fear. You know what I mean? Right. Um, Mexicans smoked marijuana. Uh, uh, blacks in the United States smoked marijuana. Well, and when George they Washington did, they wanted to rape Washington white women. Fields of it, right? What's that? George Washington like grew fields of it and all that, right? Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and 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 that's what Anslinger did to to, to illegalize to work towards the illegalization of, of weed. Um, it, it comes back at the end. It kind of ends. Uh, there's a part at the end where it comes back to India, um, and how you know, like uh, for the UN, they they came together in I think the maybe late seventies, early eighties. The UN came together and said, "Let's make sure that weed is outlawed everywhere, right? And if you don't do this, you can't be part of the UN." Um, and India was the last holdout because they, it was part of their, you know, some of their priest-like people, their 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 form of, you know, worship was part of it. And they held out. They held out. They held out to the very end. And then they actually went along with the UN and outlawed it. But they made a provision, I think they made a provision where it's just, you know, the religious, you know, priests can use it if need be. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's an interesting book. Um like I said, it's not. It doesn't feel like it's super pro weed or anti weed. It's just information. Uh, and Box's style is really enjoyable to, to to read in comics. It's you know, it's cartoony and very simple line and not a lot of detail, uh, but it's excellent. So he, he draws a great bud. Like I, I wish I got. Yeah, at C2E2? Yeah, at C2E2, yeah. he's drawing weed, buds, you know? Did you see that? Did you see that, Vince? I did not. He uh, had a sign-up that said $20, and he'll he'll draw any strain of weed. Oh, and I, he, he, that's a, you know, he knew, he knew the name of the strain and everything, yeah. That's <laughs> a good angle. I like that, yeah. but I mean, in the past, he's done, like, pay me $20, and I'll draw any wrestler. Right. Um, yeah, he, he's... he's doing, Excuse it to to fit the book that he's currently you know right. yeah. selling, but now obviously I haven't read it. So speaking as someone who has not, without the personal angle, it sounds a little dry to me. Yeah, I think you probably would think it was dry, Vince. Yes, that's a, I I think that I think that uh, Daniel would enjoy just reading it. You know, just going through and looking at the cartooning and. And getting the nonfiction book quality of it, right. um, I think Jason would probably like maybe enjoy that as well. But yeah, I think you would be bored by it, and I think Dad would as well. Um, really? Yeah, I think you'd be bored by it. Huh. Uh, I'm not saying it's boring. I just think it's. Right. Uh, it, but I mean, if I wanted to to learn about all of that stuff that's in the book, I could just Google it. And and you know Google the history of of marijuana and and blah 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 the steps. But I, I'm I'm and forgive me I'm not pooping on Box Brown. But without the personal, 
what makes this anything other than an illuminated Google search? Yeah, it's not. It's really yeah. not. That's what kept me away from the Andy Kaufman book. You know, I really appreciate Fox's work. You know, it's he he's great. But I know a lot about Andy Kaufman, and I, I'm a big fan of his. And so I've never bothered to pick up the book because I felt like I would be just sort of rereading what you just said, like a Google search on, the, you know, the simplest things. I would be a little bit more interested if he had gone and, you know, wrote a book about a family member of Andy's or, or wrote a book about weed maybe that deals with somebody who's uh, was affected by it in various different kinds of ways you know that would maybe so i i'm interested in it but i i might fall into the category of, of uh vincent david possibly with that because i like boxes more personal work and yeah right yeah. i mean even if he just used the premise like god damn i love weed I love yeah, it so much. Right. That, yeah. and it's, that's not there. It's really not there. Right. And and the fact that I love it so much prompted me to learn more about the thing that I love so much. And here's what I found. And just yeah. like pop in at various points and saying, how about this motherfucker lying? You yeah. know, like just you yeah. fucking believe this. Yes. Like this shit is out of control. It's somewhat like what Ed Pisker does. Like Pisker is a, a voracious researcher. Like to to his almost to his detriment right but he found a way to do all that research and yet inject a little bit of himself in it in his work too like the even the the x-men stuff he's such a mark for Liefeld and 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 stuff and the way that he skewed the hip-hop to to include comics as well you know so i mean he's taking the things that make ed pisker ed pisker and just running with it whereas this just sounds like a stepping stone in just like dry i, I shouldn't say dry because i haven't read it but it doesn't like I, there's nothing that has been said that wants me to make it make me read it other than box brown's cartooning which i love right so i don't know I, i'll give it a shot you know why not i think yeah, the man I mean, the man's the, worth and, it you know the 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 whole middle section which you know is really like when I say middle, it's really like three fifths of the book, but just happens to be in the middle about this man Anslinger and you know his all his efforts to that feels the most like it could be a narrative, right? But it's still just uh, reports, right? Like, and then like there's not a clear transition. Like it was pretty much just like then this happened. Then this happened. Then this happened. Right. I enjoyed it, but that's that. It, it is very non-fictiony, you know. Uh, lack of, and I think even like the uh, the Andy Coffin book and the Andre book, because they had stories, because they were human beings that you know had these lives, and and those were the, that's what the book is about. Right. Um, it it feels more there's more of that human feeling there yeah. whereas this is about you know a plant yeah uh, yeah and i i probably would find the frederick wortham story boring too if it was just done by oh, the, yeah. you know by the numbers but right. uh, yeah okay. I, no, seriously i I'm, I'm i shouldn't discount the book without having read it but um i i will i'll give it a shot and and the joke may be on me because Box is getting a lot of play with this book, as he did with the Andre the Giant book and the Andy Coffin book. I mean, everybody knows Box Brown's name, right? 
and yeah. he seems to be moving moving units. So, ha ha, right? Right. <laughs> he, he gets the last laugh. He he. He he. Now I kind of want to watch Reefer Madness. That's always fun. <laughs> <laughs> David, what'd you read? Uh, I read. Um, I was trying to catch up on some old and some new. Um, I can tell you that it took me a little longer than it did Vincent Jason, um, but the third issue really kind of told me that I no longer have to keep reading Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil. Ooh. Um, which hurts my heart because, A, I love Marco Cicchetto, but because if the last page is any is any indication, um, Punisher is in the next issue. And if that's one character that Marco can draw, it's definitely Frank Castle. Um but there's just there's we we were introduced to this character who's who's from Chicago and and he's a by the book detective and and always always thinking about his taking down Daredevil he's a vigilante and you know he can't keep doing what he's doing and listen he's he's not above the law any cop who is a buddy to him or even if there are any dirty cops you know this dude just listen i'm i'm not dirty i'm not going to um play dirty to to take this guy down i'm doing everything as i'm supposed to do as i've been trained to do but then in the middle of this issue when he tracks down daredevil and they're surrounded by officers in the middle of the street out in public and instead of arresting Daredevil, he, he, he he's going to, you know, fight fist to fist against the dude. And I was just, I, I don't, all of a sudden, like everything that's been going on in this guy's life, he's now, he's, I guess I'm supposed to believe that he's, he's so enraged or he's just, he's at the point now after two issues and some odd pages that Daredevil's broken him and caused him to just throw everything he's been taught and believed out the window so he can just fight him face to face. And, and I, I, it made in order just to get him, him arrested or, or to, to get to the end of this third issue. I, I'm not a professional comic book writer, but I think there could have been a different way to get there by still making this, this foil to daredevil still not, um, still seem, someone unstoppable and someone who you you don't want to root for because he's trying to take down daredevil but at the same time he's 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 doing what he's supposed to do so you you may want to kind of root for the guy it was just i i just thought it was it was for planning and i've already just gone on way longer than i wanted to just to say that like vincent jason i'm i'm done with the book for now um but one thing i did dig was the fourth issue of Guardians of the Galaxy by Donny Cates and Jeff Shaw and David Curiel and um, Richard Ryder is still an idiot 
and he um, he thought he was doing something noble by trying to rescue um, or alert Gamora that the Dark Guardians are after her. Um, things kind of went awry there, but we um, were on Half World for a little bit because Groot's mutiny in the third issue led them, brought them to Half World so they could um, find Gamora. And Gamora's on Half World because she's there to kill Rocket. Um, and Peter Quill is still dealing with whatever he has to deal with. But uh, I think it, it's it's been it's been four issues now, and, and I know Vince and I it, it's we, we we kind of were in agreement with um, with Jeff's art as far as some of the characters, the way the way they look, and um, I definitely don't disagree. I think the action was ticked up a notch in this issue. And I think as the, um, I mean, after the first issue, which had a ton of Marvel cosmic characters in it, um, we've kind of scaled back a little bit on the number of, of, um, of faces and figures. But I think, um, Jeff's definitely getting a, a better handle on things as the, um, as the series continues. But it, it was, um, it looks fantastic. Beta Ray Bill is is still a badass. I'm not quite sure because I I didn't finish. I haven't finished yet uh, the Bendis run or the the recent Duggan series that that was published before this volume. Uh, so I'm not sure what the relationship is like between Peter and Gamora. Um, but I don't feel like I'm at I'm not at a real big loss. I, I'm still able to follow this around. It, it makes plenty of sense. It's still, um, uh, Eros assembled a team because Thanos is having the last laugh and they feel that, um, Gamora is, is the key to that. And, um, it's a Guardians of the Galaxy book. You still have the rest of the Guardians in this book. Um, and I think uh, as far as the voices of uh, how all the characters sound, whether you're familiar with them from the movies or um, or the Abnett Landing run or the Bendis run, um, they're still very consistent. Nobody is um, nobody's really sticking out like a sore thumb. Uh both in, in how they look or in their dialogue, except for Groot, who's, who's changed somewhat, which we've um, we've touched on already. So uh, I, yeah, I, I am still all in on Guardians of the Galaxy. This is the fourth issue of a six-part story, or at least this first arc. Um, and yeah, I I it I don't know. I may have some some ideas as to where Donnie's taking the story or how this first arc may end or who's going to be left standing, but um, I'm completely in his hands wherever he's he's taking this story, wherever he's taking these characters. Um, I'm all in. So yeah, I, I it looks great, it reads great. It's it's um, it's it's a lot of fun. It really is. It's it's 
action-packed and it's loud it it just it it seems loud as as when you're reading it is the uh the cosmic ghost riders on that team yes he is right yeah i like it's it's cosmic ghost rider it's uh philovel it's star lord it's groot it's moon dragon and it's beta ray bill that's rad does it try to do the comedy from the movies at all or is it playing it straight no, it's there's there's still some. Um, I mean, it's it's a Donny Cates comic, so so there's definitely some humor there. It's right. it it kind of does sound like like the characters from the movie um, when Groot grabs Gamora and brings her on the ship. Um, you know, she comments that it's it's a different ship than than when they were last all together. And Groot says, you know, yeah, it's 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 the um, it's the writer R Y D E R. And, uh, and so she's like, oh, is that is that one of Peter's pretty Earth girls? And and Groot doesn't know, but you know, it's it's yes, obviously it is, um, just like the Milano was. But uh, yeah, no, it's it 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 takes a little bit from from the movies, which of course the movies took a bit from the uh, the Abnett landing, and and so it's it's kind of come full circle a little bit but it's it's um yeah no it's it's not it's not a um uh, it's not a heavy as far as the is it's not dripping with with drama or or what was me moments there's there's definitely some it's 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 kind of like you know the, the way people will um scoff or mock or or make light of, of a heavy situation. There's, there's that going on here. Right. Yeah. He writes fun books. He does. Yeah. So the ship is called the rider because of Winona rider. Yes. I feel like it should be because of Nova. No, because it's Richard rider is R I D E R. That's that. That's Nova. This is yeah. R Y D E R. All right. You just wait. He's going to tie. Kate's is going to flip that on us. But why would why would Peter Quill have a crush on Richard Ryder? It's not a crush. It's just he's he's He doesn't care about Nova. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't uh, Nova does not rate on on all the things that, that, that are going through Peter Quill's mind. I'm pretty sure Richard Ryder is not one of them. So would you say that this like where we are in the Marvel universe now, because of somewhat partially I think because of the movies but do you think that we're at a point now where the Guardians of the Galaxy and that Peter Quill and that Nova are not at all the same characters from the Abnett and Landing run? Um, do you know what I mean? Like third, yes, I know exactly. What you, it, it, almost like a reboot where you didn't actually have a reboot. Right. right? They just right. kind of. They just kind of slowly. Sliding scaled, almost like what they did with Wolverine after the X Men movies, right? Um, like, yeah, has, I, did, did Cancerverse happen? You know what I mean? Did that stuff in the that that Abnett landing? You know? Yes, I think happened. it still happened. Um, I just think because of the fluidity, how, how malleable the the Marvel timeline is, because they they. 
they are the opposite of DC. They don't ignore their history, but they're not, they're not a slave to it. So they can still, yes, those stories still happened. Like, I don't, I don't, it's possible. I'm sure even after Hickman's secret wars that a lot of the events from Spider-Man's life, like chapter one still may, some of that may still be part of who the character is now. Why you got to bring up chapter one? I'm just uh, why you got to do that, that, Jimmy? Why because, you got it? Why it's like a, it's like a dagger? It's no, it's, you you're right. Stab me with your chapter I one want, knife. I want, I didn't want to mention a JMS story that I don't acknowledge because I haven't read it. So I'm trying to ignore that. What's that, baby goblin? Uh, oh, the yeah. spider troll thing. You mean? No, no, I'm talking uh, the since past. Yeah, baby um, goblins, baby goblins. Um. So you know, so so I think I think yes, I think I think the War of the Kings and and the um, and Annihilation. I that's that's kind of too big, too important, too cool to ignore. So I don't. I think it still happened. It's just that it's enough time has passed where that's just a a younger or a a, a different point in his life, Star Lord, than what we have now. Yeah. So he got as he aged, he got dumber. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's and yeah, because they do want to for whatever reason, they it's even though we we all say that, you know, you're not you're not those, those people who just left the movie theater are not walking into your comic shop. You don't need to make these characters like they are on the screen, but they still want, I guess, to keep them somewhat similar. Yeah. That guy we got rid of organic web shooters. Definitely a good thing. Yes. Yeah. But the the one thing about Marvel, at least what they have over DC, is things don't just go away in the Marvel Universe. Right. They may not mention Annihilation, but it 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 hasn't been new fifty two or reborn or exactly. or flashpointed, so um, yeah. you can consider it. You know. They still bring up the original Secret Wars. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's whether it's the symbiote Spider Man or even you know, it's just, so nothing nothing is ignored, nothing is forgotten. It's, you're you're not beaten over the head with it. They don't mention it. It's not like Claremont's writing every comic and you're reminded of it every month. But it's hey, still- he's the best he is at what he does, David. <laughs> <laughs> Organic steel. Yeah. <laughs> and and it works against DC because as soon as they get the the train a rolling, they they switch engines again, and right. people are very confused about what's what and when did this happen. And unless you're Batman or Green Lantern, it's up in the air about what actually is considered part of yeah, the- anything that I mean, the word I, I'm not going down there, but it, it's, yeah. it, it's, I mean, I, I, in the eighties, I was a big fan of all-star squadron. I, I, part of me, you know, I appreciated that this is this, the very first Superman aged and lives on this earth in this universe with his wife Lois Lane and his friend Batman has a daughter and and 
it's huntress and, and they but at the same time because they were their characters were just kind of set in that era that that's when it, of course that's why we got crisis but it it, it definitely like to your point Vince, yes it 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 went against them but when you when you have characters that are almost a century old i guess it's they definitely weren't forward thinking they 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 weren't planning on these characters i mean thought the characters might still be around but they weren't they didn't care about the stories or, or continuity or or what's going to happen right from one issue to the next so yeah. um i know it's a beloved story and um I mean, I enjoy it, but I think Crisis did more harm than good because. How long am thinking that? Is it is it e- easier to say, well, this is the Superman from Earth Two, than to say, well, that never happened. Well, well why didn't that well, happen? But 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 you're looking at it from the. I don't want to say privilege, but it's that's hindsight. <clears throat> and back then. You know, in, in 1985, this is where DC was planning on on going with these characters, and um, but even that wasn't well thought out because once you do do that, do do you do that to Superman? Now, now you've affected Legion of Superheroes. Sure, and Eric Byrne had to figure out a way to still make that happen, and. Um, you know, it's it's. I got to take the good and the bad. I mean, I I love Crisis and it's of its time, and I love Burn Superman. But Burn Superman didn't exact as as cool as it was and as great as it was in in grounding the character or making him appear more human. And um, you know, Ma and Pa Kent are still alive. That's awesome. But you know, the Legion was sacrificed, or it, it's just it's as as much cool shit happened with it. There were a few things that that may have been missteps, but I mean, it's. But yeah, it, it's and even with but even with Batman, because once after Crisis, you had Jim Starlin write some stories, and then um, we we had your one. It, it's just there was there were it it, it was weird. It, it just you know that they, they were doing the Watchmen series. It's. But you're not the only person to think that to say that that crisis was was a misstep. I think resets in general are sort of bad, you know, because it's a comic book. It really shouldn't matter. Anything could happen at any time, right. anywhere, you know. But a lot of that started with crisis, and that was sort of the generation of creators who grew up being fans of comics, and then they get to that age and they're doing it, and they're turning their art and their love into like a, a mirror image of themselves and how they see it. And they're putting their own stamp on it then. And turn, well, it's, they need to d- define things then because that's what they grew up doing was defining it. Whereas the old timers were just making it. It didn't matter. And Batman was this crazy loony for 40 years until that period of time that it changed. You know, I'm trying to think of a better way to say this, but it's like the creator becomes, tries to put, what they think about the medium into the medium. Right. And that's why you see like these resets. Does that make any sense? Am no, I saying this right? You know, I, I understand it. You, you, yes. what, what we've had is decades since crisis. We've had decades yeah. of guys trying to undo it. Yeah, exactly. 
that because, because they they loved either or they they grew up on the way it was before and you have guys like you know um morrison and 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 johns who are like no there yeah. there's a multiverse fuck that we, we got to bring that shit back yeah the 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 batman back then he existed in those 12 pages if he was going to be if he was going to fight a seahorse then that was going to happen in that story didn't matter no one was going to call on it until Grant Morrison's going to do Final Crisis, and 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 that's the way it was. You have people who, like Jeff Johns and Hal Jordan, was his Green Lantern, and and he was going to bring the character back, and that's what he wanted to do. But Hal Jordan's also a character that's been around since the '60s, and we know so many comic book readers who didn't care about Hal Jordan, didn't care about any of them until Kyle Rayner. And, and that's their Green Lantern. That's either the guy that that's their first Green Lantern that, that they cared about, or, or that's the Green Lantern when they started reading comics, but that they didn't care about Hal Jordan because Hal Jordan was, he was the old dude. He was stiff. He was, he was the, just the, the stick in the mud Republican and, and, and no one cared about space cop guy. And, and I, they needed someone younger who just, who would make cool things with his ring instead of just the guy making, you know, a boxing glove. And, and so you, while I agree with Daniel, when he says, you know, who cares about resets and reboots and, and just tell stories, but you have, you have readers who don't want to read the old stuff and, or read the old characters. And, and they, they tried doing things with, with Hal. They, they, uh, the Emerald, Emerald Dawn and, uh, then, then Gerard Jones took a stab and, and John Stewart with the mosaic world. They, they, they've tried things with the same characters. Nothing stuck. If, and if, and like they said, if everybody who was so vocal about what they did to Hal Jordan was actually reading the book, they would have never turned, Hal Jordan evil, and and we wouldn't have had Kyle. But nobody was reading the book. They needed to shake things up. It's same thing that Peter David did with the Hulk. Every time sales were low, he flipped the script, and and that's when we get you know, bipolar, schizophrenic Bruce Banner, and Incredible Hulk, and and the thing with the with the Pantheon, and and stuff with Marlowe. And every time something, every time David knew sales were were dipping down a bit, he got to shake it up so you needed or at the time i guess they just needed to to keep doing things to to keep it going so yeah i i i love reading old comics where it's just this is what exists in in, in like old world's finest issues right whatever's going to happen in these eight or 12 pages that that's all i need to know right here it's it's kind of like you know Tony Stark. He's hurt in the Vietnam War, but then they talk about his origin in a newer comic, and he yep. was hurt in Desert Storm or something, yep. whatever it yep. is. Now, I, I I see that, and I don't even bat an eye for that. It's just no. it, I don't still... need to know <laughs> that this is my Iron Man and this is from this time. I'm okay with that. Like, and uh, you know that doesn't bother me so much. I won't even pay attention to that. But I guess for a lot of folks, it matters. They need it to be a defined time, and it's this is my character. And it was the Korean War first. It was Korean War first. God damn it! Korean War, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, right. it's it's weird because out of all those examples, Hal and Bruce are the two characters that 
didn't change. Well, I mean, they're uh, there because of sales numbers. All of their legacy is pretty much intact, right? Yeah, because it's even in the um, yes, in the recent in in the current Morrison book, um, Hal references how he's been dead and he's yeah. been parallax, and and so he's they haven't they haven't ignored Hal's history even in this new fifty two post rebirth world, but. Um, but they still, I mean, we know that now and that's because John's brought him back. But before then, before rebirth, he was still, you know, just referred to as the greatest Green Lantern and, and just the one who did this massive major atrocity and uh, because his, that's all they wanted. It's like, it's, it's, it's like when, um. Conway wanted to he he didn't he didn't want to write about you know just some vapid blonde he was more he was more interested in the redhead and you know I can't think of anything creative to do to this character with this character I'm a killer off but that's just storytelling and even with the Green Lantern like he's referencing these old stories but he's not using his writing time to spend to to explain how that fits into it he's just right. referencing those old things but then just yes. going for it and he's just telling this story now so I, i'm glad he's you know I'm, I, I like i like that right yeah but i, I mean it, i think it's a case of you know having your cake and eating it too right if you're going to reboot the majority of your universe and you're leaving batman and green lantern untouched i gotta call bullshit oh uh, dude we've been called bullshit since 2011 yeah that, i mean all, it, I it mean, doesn't it's... make sense if, if we're yeah. talking about continuity Right. And, and and why do you do that? So so here's here's we're keeping Green Lantern and we're keeping Batman and their timelines and their history is intact. But because we're going you're to buying fuck them. with the oldest yeah, exactly. superhero, the oldest comic book character, we're 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 going to redo right. him and everything you're familiar with, just ignore that. That just completely right. blows my mind. So it's I mean I, I can see your slip, right? Your slip is showing. I could see yep. what's going on underneath there. So it, I mean, since we were we started it with with the the continuity problems with Crisis, you, you just it, I, it as a reader, as a consumer, and a lover of these things, if if you're going to leave a gaping hole in the armor, it's going to be noticeable, right? You yes. can't you can't say that yeah, Hal destroyed Coast City and Hal did all this. Uh, that I'm not Hal didn't destroy. Yeah, he did, didn't he? He destroyed yeah, Coast City. Yeah, yeah. 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 and 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 Mongol. Mongol. Yeah. Well, uh, you, you can't Mongol say all of the parallax stuff that happened is still a thing because John's ran with it with, with in his Green Lantern run, right? So right. if that still exists, then why the hell isn't Wally West around? And why isn't, you know, so you just can't pick and choose when you're talking continuity. It just makes people, it, it, it gives me the agita that, 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 that some characters are exempt and some are not. It's just so simple. But anyway. Time is a flat circle. It, yeah, it's a pizza. Yeah. <laughs> um, you want to hear about by far the best thing that I've read? Yes. It's, uh, now, okay, I'm going to play a little game with you. I'm going to say the name of a character who was very um, obtrusive during the uh, Bronze Age. 
and you tell me the writer you associate this character with. Red Sonia. Frank Thorne? No. I got nothing. The person, that, nothing. the person that introduced her to the Marvel oh, Universe. Well, then they, oh, Roy Thomas. Yes, Roy Thomas. Because um, had Roy Thomas not needed a uh, semi-recurring character for Conan, Red Sonia would still be languishing within the um, Robert E. Howard uh, library as this gun-toting character who popped up in the shadow of the vulture and no one outside of Robert E. Howard fans would have really cared. So it was Roy Thomas who created the she devil with a sword. Um, he's more responsible for, well, he's far more responsible for her popularity than Robert E. Howard ever was. Roy, How Roy Thomas made this character. That said, um, the first story that Red Sonia appeared in was called the song of Red Sonia. Right, so it's entirely fitting that Roy Thomas would go back to the character and call the work the Ballad of the Red Goddess. You had a you had a song to introduce her. You have a ballad to perpetuate this character. Um, many decades after the fact, written by Roy Thomas, uh, illustrated by Esteban Maroto and Santi Casas. And it's published by Dynamite. And Dapp will be pleased to know that in the tradition of Matt Wagner's fine work on Grendel, uh, this is basically a black and white book with one color. Yeah. And that yeah. color's red. Yeah, that sounds hot. It's cool. It is cool. I yeah. mean, if you're going to do a spot color for Red Sonia, goddamn better be red. Um, there is a story within a story. And it all centers around a ballad of, of sorts. There's um, uh, a land that has recently been invaded by this bastard called Thalos. And he took the crown by force, killed the king, uh, took his daughter, and he said to the daughter, Comely wench, you will be mine, or I will kill everyone in, the, in your kingdom. And um, if you do so, together we will sire um, a legacy of steel. I'm going I'm to make a I'm going to make a family that's going to endure for years and years and years and years and years. And the um the woman really doesn't have a choice. Uh she's Princess Aurora. She doesn't have a choice. She's like, "Okay. Um yeah. You got it." But um King Thalos now sleeps on it. And when he wakes up, he had an epiphany in his in his slumber that all the spoils of a life of power, like the treasure, the the monuments to one's glory, the legacy, that's not going to mean shit in a finite lifespan. Like, when I'm dead, I'm dead. People are going to piss on my grave. So um, I'm going to redirect my efforts to finding um, the fountain of, of life. And Princess Aurora, next day, comes up to the king, and he's he's going through all this shit, and he's like, you know what? I don't need you. And he beheads her. I'm 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 going for eternal life, bitch, and you're just a mere roadblock in my way. And he directs his minstrel, an androgynous minstrel. He goes, "I don't know what you are, man, woman, whatever you are. Sing. Sing about my glory." And the minstrel's like, 
well, I, I won't sing about your glory because that is yet to be seen, but I, you're looking for this fountain of life thing, right? I, I will sing about the person that who can give you this fountain of life. And the minstrel sings of Red Sonia. So the, the uh, opening pages are illustrated by Santi Casas. And then once when the minstrel starts their thing and, and starts singing about Red Sonia, it switches to Esteban Moroto. And good, I mean, they're both phenomenal artists, but Esteban has not missed a step. He is as incredible as he ever was, right? So the minstrel claims that Sonia is the one that can grant Thalos immortality, and it goes back to Red Sonia year one, in a sense. We see Sonia in her formative years, and she's trained by her master to wield a sword, and she, he, he's training her on the how and the why to fight and what reserve to tap into to, 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 to fuel that, that battlefield, you know, rage. And, and as he's teaching her, uh, a band of reavers show up, and they kill the master. And, and this is what kind of, for, for a, a, a brief moment, it kind of soured me on the story because Kurt Busick did the same thing in the Conan run where um, a woman is, is repeatedly raped and Red Sonia is captured and violated by the, these reavers. They, they all rape her, right? It's, it, a lot of it is left to the imagination, but she's defiled, right? I don't think a woman of strength needs to be grounded in rape. Right, but this is how Roy wrote it. So you're you're talking Roy Thomas, as far as I am concerned, and this is going to lead to a problem. And I'll tell you about it after this. But um, this is the way Roy Thomas wrote it. I'm going to just accept it, and it is a product of uh, a writer of another time, and I'm just going to leave it at that. But I'm not entirely comfortable with the fact that she was violated by men. And that that's what led her down the road of Red Sonia. But I mean, it's a good, it's a good thing. If you're a woman and you're violated by dudes, you're going to have a problem with men. I think all men, I guess it's going to sour you and you're going to be wary of anything with genitalia other than yourself. So it it is, it's conceivable. She would feel this way, but I don't really think the whole story needs to build, be built around this, but it could have been done another way. But anyway, um, so the the reavers leave her tied to the ground, where they 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 did their thing. And after a time, this crow flies in, and it gnaws on the the bonds that are holding her. And and she could free herself, right? Um, but she had help because the crow, you know, it's a crow. It didn't do it on its own. It was directed to her. And this this goddess Morrigan, she she kind of gets. Sonia all lathered up. She she's she's like you need to you need vengeance, my girl. You 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 need to purify yourself and you need to get your ass out there and you need to kill these bastards. So Morgan purifies her in in this in this water, right? And Morgan gives her she tells her that I know what you need. You need a sword. You need a sword that's going to stop all this shit. You're very good with it, but you need an edge. I'm going to give you this sword. So she tells her Go to the fountain of life, and you can. Th there, 
you know, you can get your sword. And she gives her a unicorn <laughs> to ride on to get there. So um, she gets to the Fountain of Life, and the Fountain of Life has a built-in goddess too. Um, and after a sacrifice, she she bestows the sword to Sonia, and she gives her a full a suit of full body armor. And Sonia's like, no, 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 no. You're covering up too much. I don't want this. I want something that's going to let those at the end of my sword know that it's a woman that's taken their lives. So I want something a little bit more revealing. And so it was. That's where the chainmail bikini came from, right? So Sonia kills all the reavers that defiled her and they took her youth and her innocence. And, and she's told that to save her soul, she needs to find an absolute evil that has wronged someone other than herself. She can't be connected to anyone wronged by this person in any way. So it has to be an act of pure justice. And if you do this, you're not going to be an irredeemable monster. You're going to be, you'll be all right. And you can go out in the world and somehow reclaim all the shit that you lost, right? So where do you think she ends up? She ends up at King Thallus's doorstep. And that's where the uh, the premise is is fulfilled. With uh, Santi Casas comes back on the art, but holy shit, is this a beautiful book? It's a hardcover, um, but there's a problem. There's a problem because this is, as I said, Red Sonia Year One. Now Dynamite recently solicited a book called Red Sonia: Birth of the She Devil, which is written by Luke Lieberman. And uh, the solicitation reads, An early tale of the she-devil. Explore the early years of the wild and untamed Sonia the Red before she, and there's a typo, good job, Dynamite, before she became the scourge of Hyboria, Red Sonia. This is the part that gets me. Retaining her trademark armor and flame-filled hair. Now, if Roy Thomas says that Red Sonia got her armor in becoming Red Sonia from this Morrigan uh, goddess, this story doesn't make any sense. How could she have her trademark armor and not be Red Sonia? So Dynamite is soliciting a book that contradicts the work of the person that created Red Sonia. So it's, I call bullshit. Are they not paying attention to the books they publish? Doesn't seem so. Seriously. Yeah. Like, how could she, it doesn't make, in, in, if Roy Thomas says it's so, then it's so, because he created the character. And he's writing a story featuring a character that he single-handedly, with a tiny little bit of help of Robert E. Howard, he created. So if he says she got the, the bikini after the goddess imparted the power of the sword in the, to her, this story makes no sense. So I don't, I don't get it. But, I mean, this is, this is comics, right? Comics publishing. And uh, if Dynamite's going to find a way to make money off Red Sonia, they will, because this is in addition to the ongoing Red Sonia that is uh, written by Gail Simone, which is really good. Uh, but I, I just... So this is the third book they're putting out of Red Sonia. The hardcover, the other book that you just said, and then the Gail Simone book. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, this is, remember, this is Dynamite. I mean, they have, they have two Elvira books going concurrently. They, I mean, they're not, they won't shrug at making more. There was, there was multiple series of Vampirella being published at the same time. They're going to milk it. 
right? Just throw it at the wall, see what sticks. Yeah, yeah. But my problem is when you have a, a, a writer of the pedigree of Roy Thomas, you, you don't contradict what they're saying, right? This had to be this had to pass by the desk of someone in authority. They greenlit it, right? Oh, Roy Thomas wants to write a story of the origin of Red, Tom- Red, Red Sonia. Good, do it. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe we should check this Roy Thomas book before we solicit this thing or plan this thing out because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That's all I'm saying. But or even one character should fall under one the same editor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know how you know that company works with that as far as that goes, but right. I would and, assume so. And why does it? I mean, Dynamite has proven that they'll change the costume of these these uh, bad girls in a second. Vampirella did not always have the the famous red bikini, uh, bathing suit type thing that that she's always had. They they put her in like a uh, a cyberpunk setting. They put her in a you know like a, a Victorian setting. So they're not reluctant to change the formula. So why does Red Sonia not? Why why does she have to have the chainmail bikini now? It just it, she didn't have it in that last series that is is awesome. And I I forget who wrote it, but uh, it's. I don't know. It just boggles my mind. And and it's only a product of caring about the character, right? If this was, I don't know, pick someone I don't care about. If this was Starfire, I wouldn't give a shit, right? But it, because it's a character I love, it it, it matters to me. It's, I right. guess it's all perspective. But um, it's, it is a freaking gorgeous book on, on both sides of it. The, uh, the Casas work is more brushy. And um, illustrative. I shouldn't say that. It, it, it's more brushy and, and and unchained and unfettered. But then you get the the Maroto stuff, and it's very. There's a lot of line work in it, and it's all just amazingly detailed and loose. And and he has a way with women. They both do, and it's just it's pretty breathtaking to see. And the red really punctuates it very well. Love it. I I, I absolutely adore this book. Yeah, it's 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 a beautiful book. This is the one that I wish I'd read instead of Ronan Island. But I think the page count may surprise you because the majority of the story is only forty pages. the The rest of it is like uh, sketches. It's a seventy some page book, but the the meat of it is only forty pages. Yes, though I I know I still would have it didn't it didn't it only being forty pages didn't. I would have, had I flipped through this at all, I would not have read Ronan Island first. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, it's like night and day. Yeah. Both good. Has Roy Thomas been, uh, Roy Thomas been working recently besides this book? or? Well, yes, because in the forward he says that um, he, he had to break from his traditional writing style he, he's the type who um depending on who he's working with he writes full script he'll, he, he'll either do a lot of detail or a little detail depending on the artist but he likes writing full script he doesn't he, he was never keen on the even when he was editor editor-in-chief he wasn't really keen on the marvel method um but because he is busy he, he said in the forward that uh, he let the artists do what they wanted to do. Hey, you're breaking up. 
Right, yeah. Yeah. Well, the reason why Roy Thomas doesn't like the Marvel method is because Roy Thomas is an actual writer. Mm-hmm. There you go. Too true. Yeah. So there you have it. Yep. Um, what else we got? We want to bring the back up the bus and do our in your travels and because we're we're over two hours, which is is healthy. But I mean, if we got something else to say about something, is Mario still here? I'm here. Let's go. You need to speak yeah. up, son. Yeah, really. Wake up. Yeah. All right. I guess we'll back it up. Everybody, hey, thank you for being here with us one more time. This is uh, an uh, evidence that everything you can get from Discount Comic Book Service is the awesome sauce and available. Because there you go. DCBService.com. Remember these books because you should order them. I did. I think a lot of us did. DC Green Lantern Hardcover Volume 1, Intergalactic Lawman, 1249. Immortal Hulk Volume 1, Bada Bing, 1749. And Ms. Tree, Volume 1, from Titan Comics, $12.49 in your travels. Something old, that's something new. What are you talking about? Well, it's a book by uh, Carl Kessel and Tom Grummet called Section Zero, Number One. It was recently published by Image, but it's by no means new. It was 2000 that it was originally published. Yeah. Yeah. And um we could we could ramble on about it at length because I think the book is is uh worthy of it, but it's like a it's a United Nations X Files branch with backing and superpowers. And there's an RGA brand analog in it too. Who who just happens to be uh a uh, paranormal author investigator. And that's where he gets all the information to funnel to this section zero to go check out cryptids and paranormal experiences. And, and it, it's, I thought it was phenomenal, but it, you know, you say Tom Grummet and I say, okay. Yep. I love his work. Yeah. Yep. And he was and, Robin. Oh, oh yeah. So but it, it just goes to show this book is almost 20 years old and artists mature. And and they refine their work over time, and and they grow. But this looks as good as anything Grummet has ever done. It, yeah. it's, it's just so the guy hit the ground running at top speed, and he never stopped. I mean, he's he's one of the 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 true greats, I think. And it's just Grummet's work just seems incredibly comfortable to me. I I I I just my eyes are filled with with nothing but joy when I look at Grummet's line work. So, I mean, every time I see his stuff, I pick it up because he's he's like, he's the god to me. So there you go. Um, section zero, number one. Published by Image, by the way. And I think the, the, the caveat was the original series was never finished. It lasted, I'd have to check my my database. I have, I think four issues or five issues of it and it, the the last issue was never published and that's no, what the deal they was only, they, they only made it three issues three yeah okay so the the um but the story was never completed and they recently had a kickstarter to do yeah. to do just that so it's going to be old 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 and then brand new or roughly brand new 
I don't even know if the original was finished back in the day and they just didn't publish it or Grummet and, and Kessel went back and, and finished that dangling Chad. I don't know. So those are pages that he drew 20 years ago. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Okay. It's crazy. He's still still uh, masterful back then. Yeah. Big time. In your travels. Um, yeah, I really did enjoy Section Zero. Um, I caught up on um, Wonder Twins. Red Issues 2 and 3. Um, still written by Mark Russell. Art by Stephen Byrne. Um, a lot of it reminds me of the Super Friends comic book where you had the uh, the Guardians of the Globe backup feature and Icicle um, or Green Flame and Icicle way back when. Um, very, very serious book, even though they're uh, even though Russell is writing some serious topical, um, he's touching on some serious subject matter as far as uh, prison and incarcerations, um, second chances, and um, not judging things by their appearances. The um, it's. I, I, I enjoy the way it's drawn. The characters aren't... If if you're reading uh, Bendis' Superman books, or even if you're reading Johns' Doomsday Clock, the Lex Luthor that's there isn't necessarily, doesn't, isn't necessarily the same Lex Luthor in Wonder Twins. He definitely doesn't sound the same. Um, he's, uh, he's a little bit more flippant to other characters in this book. Um, but I think it's a nice, if you want to call it a change of pace, uh, a different take. It, it, I mean, you're, you're not really looking at the heroes through the eyes of these alien twins. They're, you're, they're just trying to live life with, with the hand that they've been dealt and, uh, Superman is kind of looking out for them while they're here on Earth as a favor to to their father. Um, they're, it, it's funny when it's supposed to be, but again, it's also um, there's the, the, there are some top this uh, with some characters who sound the way they sound to definitely behave the way they're behaving. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm still digging it. It's, it's uh, I think we're, we're halfway done with the miniseries. It's, it's weird. It's, I, I wanted to I was going to say it's a lot of fun and, and it is, but there are, um, there are moments where you, you just, kind of uh are taking it back a bit just just because you kind of weren't expecting it which is fine it it's not you know it, it's it's not offensive at all and it 
definitely doesn't make you feel dumb if you weren't thinking about certain things. But I think Russell is uh, is is handling everything really well. So in your travels, the Wonder Twins. Nice, very nice. Thanks. Cool, cool. I'm gonna say in your travels. Um, I just finished the second issue of. Uh, Michelle Fife's G.I. Joe Sierra Muerte. Um, oh, I have that right here. I haven't started yet. Nice. Yeah, I'm really enjoying I'm really enjoying this. I think it's only three issues, and I think the last issue comes out maybe like next week. Um, but I was a little behind, but I just finished the second issue. Um, and, you know, if you'd like Michelle Fife, Fife you know, it's, it's kind of more of the same of what he does well. Um, I really like his character work in this. I like how you have someone like, um, uh, cover girl or Scarlet and it's, it's full on, you know, bright color Scarlet in her outfit, but the background could be just a drab city street. But, but the, but the GI Joes and the Cobra characters are so colorful and they pop so much. It's just, it's, it's, it's an interesting, uh, Interesting look. Um, but yeah, really enjoying it. Um, uh, I thought I thought it was cool because the Sierra Muerte is a, uh, a fictional island that Larry Hama always had in the original yeah. G.I. Joe comic series. But like it would be on a map or something, but they never visited there. It was always just like, oh, and Sierra Muerte. Um, but, uh, you know, FIFA for the first time brings, uh, GI Joe to Sierra Muerte. Um, so yeah, I'd say in your travels, read that. That's right. He, I love, he, he uses this like a uh, cut up piece of bamboo or something to do those thick lines he does around his characters. Those like choppy yeah mm-hmm. definition lines he does. He, he's so, he's so brilliant. Uh, yeah. I guess it's my turn in your travels. You good, Mario? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Gonna, yeah, go I'm ahead. Gonna go, I'm going to go with... Uh, well, I want to say it's a small publisher, but it's not because there's no mention of a, a company name on this comic at all. So it's self-published, I would assume. Uh, Johnny Sam is the creator. And the name of the comic is Slow, Slow Leak Number 2. I picked this up at Quimby's in Chicago. And the cover is what got me, because it's the striking image of, uh, what is it, about 24 profile faces, heads, that are drawn in this really sort of like old school Mad Magazine cartoony kind of way. So that is what really got me right away as soon as I saw it. And it's just filled with uh, mostly three panel comic strips. Um, It's a little raunchy, not much, but that's fine. And... Some of the jokes don't land, but the ones that do, get it. And uh, it's a fun little read. Every page has got a new strip on it. Some of them are a little longer. Some of them... He's got a, a range of styles in here. He does this one story called Trigger, the drug-sniffing dog. And it's drawn in a much more realistic way. But this is maybe my favorite one because it's about this... It starts <clears throat> about this canine drug-sniffing dog. And you get to the second page and all of a sudden he's speaking and he's yelling at this ghostwriter he's hired to write the story of him being the greatest canine dog ever 
You know, it's weird. <laughs> it's batshit crazy. <laughs> and I love it. And the dog is like sniffing cocaine and he's got a hooker in the bed and he's throwing shit at the writer to say like, you know, make this book the, the best damn book ever. You know, it's, it's odd and off. And that's why I like it. Slow leak number two, Johnny Sampson. I, there's not even a, there's a post office. This box, which I'm not going to recite, but uh, Google I'm sure you'll find Johnny Sampson. Nice. I'm going to have to look yeah. into that. Yeah. It's fun. It's a fun little book, and it's well done. If he did this himself, which I'm assuming, he did a really good job. The printing is great. It's got a nice thick cover on it, black and white, and just filled with a bunch of really cool doodles. I love it. Sweet. Cool. All right. Everybody, hey, thank you for being here with us. If you want more of the same, Facebook groups, lots of them. Get on there. There's fun going on all the time. The uh, the Twitters and the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics, no apostrophe. And uh, do it up right. Say goodnight. David. There you go. Good job. Good job, gentlemen. I want to join the health fan page and just post pictures of pastries all day. Just post pastries all day. I've been been tempted to do it, but I don't feel like I don't want to be a dick. (laughs) Post pictures of just pizza. Just all kinds of stuff. God, you know what that reminds me of when Howard Stern (laughs) had. uh, d- yeah, dancing to the sweating to the oldies. Um, yes. yeah, yeah, Richard Richard, uh, Richard uh, Simmons, Richard Simmons. Yeah. And, and he had a, a couple of fat ladies with him. And Stern had a fishing pole, and he was dangling like <laughs> chicken, fried chicken, in front of them. And <laughs> that's nasty, Daniel. You're devious. I love that. <laughs> oh, hey, uh, rest I'll in peace, it. rest in peace, Kazuo Kazuo Koiki. Yeah. Creator of Lone Wolf and Cub. Yep. Oh, wow. Oh, that sucks. That's some great stuff right there. Yep. Yep. All right, everybody. Hey, thanks. We love you so much. Thank you to Daniel White and TV's Mario for being thanks here with for us. Thanks for having me. He's queuing yeah, up. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Mario's queuing up the Hotel California as we speak. Oh, you know so it, man. I'm going to just play it on repeat the whole time I'm sleeping. Get your hands out of your pants, you filthy animal. <laughs> So wait, if, if if you can check out anytime you want, but you can never leave. <laughs> how big was this hotel? Check out mentally. It's a it it's a be, it's such a huge hotel. You no, can it's check conceptual. Out, but you never leave. There is no hotel. The hotel is. is but the, what about the, the people motel. that Isn't stab it, it with motel? their? What about the people that stab it with their steely knives, but they just can't kill the beast? Right. Where are they? Can't squash the animal. It's a, it's there. Okay. <laughs> One of these nights is a good song. There you go. All right, everybody. We're out of here. Be back next time, and we'll be here with waiting for you with uh, some kind of a beverage and maybe a sandwich or two, finger food. So just come back. <laughs>